So this morning, we are continuing on with our series. With our series, uh, Live Your Witness. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us this morning, or maybe have missed a few weeks, the last couple weeks we've been working through the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter, actually. We call it a book, but it's actually a letter written by Peter, the apostle, the follower of Jesus, who walked the the roads with Jesus, was there when Jesus was crucified and rose again. Uh, This very same Peter, now decades later, probably writing from the city of Rome to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is an old way of saying, uh, today we call it modern-day Turkey. Um, So he's writing to a group of churches in this area of the world, and they are facing a lot of trouble because they are Christians. Life is not easy for them. And so he is writing to them. And so for the last few weeks, we've been working through the entrance or the beginning of the letter, and now we're more into the body of it. And so there's this, the last week we began with this series of Live Your Witness. And we were talking uh, some about, through the passage, where Peter was encouraging uh, all Christians to submit to authorities. And then he started speaking to slaves, uh, how they would submit to their masters in a way that that makes Jesus look good to them. Um, But then also, too, he started talking, too, about how do you follow God or how do we live righteously when things are difficult for us. And he gave this example from Jesus that he committed no sin, that he didn't retaliate, and that he actually trusted God even when things were really difficult for him. And so that was uh, the three main takeaways from last week. This week... We continue on with this uh, passage where we're talking about live your witness. And it's the next part of the the passage where Peter's talking to husbands and wives. He's talking to families. How do we live together in families in a way uh, that commends Jesus, that, that, that makes Jesus look good to the community around us? And so I've been working through this passage, and some of you know this passage from 1 Peter. Uh, some of you have maybe read it in the bulletin already. And a few people have asked me, you know, Jason, how are you going to do this, you know? Because sort of, this passage is different than our culture right now, especially the part where Peter says, wives, submit to your husbands. And we're going to get into that in a minute. And I think there's some things here that I think will be helpful for all of us to see. Um, but, you know, people are asking me, how are you going to do this? And right, really, like two weeks before Christmas, you're going to jump into this one? Uh, but I think maybe that comes from a quick reading of the passage. And, you know, I think probably that's where I started this week too. Like, oh man, like, Lord, what do I do with this? Um, given our culture, given where we are at. Um, But actually, as I started studying this week, I've been really encouraged by what the Holy Spirit has been showing me, and I can't wait to talk with you about it. I wanted to just begin, though, that my convictions about the Word of God is that it is just that. It is the Word of God. God breathed for us. And so I take it really seriously. And I don't want to, um, I want to be really careful with how we use the Word of God, how we apply it to our lives. I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed that it comes from God. But I also believe that, t- that all of Scripture is situated uh, into a context, into a cultural uh, situation. For example, this book of 1 Peter wasn't just dropped out of the sky as eternal truths to apply, propositions to apply to our lives. It was actually the Word of God written through Peter in first century Rome to a group of Christians in first century Asia Minor. So it has a culture around it. It has certain presuppositions that everybody just assumed were true. And we have to understand those to understand what Peter is saying rightly. All right, so, and also I believe this too, that some teaching, it really easily transcends its culture, its time and place in which it was written. A great example of this are the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments, you can apply those pretty much to any culture. It doesn't matter uh, that it just came from, uh, from ancient Israel. That, that, 
That's important, but it doesn't really affect the way that we read it. But texts like this where Peter is talking to families, this is more rooted in culture and it is more work for us to understand that we need to do the, the good work of looking at how the culture of families was in the first century and how do we appropriate it. How do we take that and apply it to our lives, to our families today? Um, like last week, this, comes, this text comes in the middle of um, some very complicated cultural differences. And so how do we account for those differences? How do we apply this text to our lives? And how should we, uh, when you come down to it today, how should we relate husbands and wives? How should we relate to one another? But not just husbands and wives, Christians. How should we care for each other? Now, some of you are wondering the same things. Maybe you know this text uh, that we're going to be reading today. And um, you're wondering, what do we do with Scripture when it seems, um, for lack of a better word, when it seems outdated, or when it seems old-fashioned? Um, how do we understand this passage, right, about wives submitting to husbands, about lo- husbands honoring and respecting their wives and being considerate of them? How do we reapply this text to our lives today? And so, um, thankfully, we have the Word of God, so we can, we can dig into this. And I'm also grateful, especially this week, for New Testament scholars who do a lot of work understanding the history and the context to help us understand God's Word. So, to begin, if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, or it's also in the bulletin as well if you just want to open that up and read it there. Let me read this for us. So, Peter's writing and he says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live your life with your, as you live, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. <clears throat> All right, so there's lots here. I can imagine some of you are like, oh, Jason, what are you going to do with this? <clears throat> Maybe some of you are thinking, Jason, how do we apply this to our lives? All right, so I just want to jump right in. Before we get into the passage itself, it's important to understand the culture. This text, culture is important. This is uh, one of those things where it's helpful to understand what it was like in the first century. This is a picture. This is a, a, an ancient Roman uh, sculpture. Uh, let's move so everybody can see that. Uh, just a couple things I want to point out here. Um, it's maybe subtle to see it, but um, if you notice, the guy, his gaze is fixed towards his wife. So this is his wife here. This is his wife here. The, the woman standing between them is actually the goddess Juno, who's holding them together. So it's ancient uh, Roman um, idea of, of God and stuff. But you can see the guy is looking, I would say, and maybe I'm over-interpreting this, but the guy is looking lovingly at, the, at his wife. The wife seems to be staring more off into the, into the distance. And <laughs> I might be over-interpreting or interpreting this, but in the ancient world, um, wives' uh, marriage was a blurry line between um, marriage and transaction, marriage and contract. And so... Uh, in the ancient world, it was very uncommon to marry for love, 
Whereas in our culture, that's almost the only thing that people marry for, at least in, in our culture now today, is for love. But in the ancient world, you didn't really marry for love. You married for family, for social advantage, um, for propriety's sake. So it was very different. And also, too, if you notice, the guy is holding not flowers, that's not a vase, that's a contract in his hand. You can see already the transactional nature of marriage in the ancient world. It wasn't, I mean, it's not, it's hard to say, I mean, it's, you know, thousands of people, thousands of different types of marriages, but generally speaking, it was more like this. It was more of a transaction. Uh, it's interesting to notice, too, that, like, as we talked about some last week, that, that marriage was the building block of society, that it was viewed as Caesar was the head of the, empirical fa- of the imperial family. So he was like the father of the family for the whole empire. But every family was a building block of the empire. So men were expected, like a Caesar of their own house, men were expected to rule their house. Uh, and I don't mean rule as in like iron fist rule, but I mean to, to be the, the leader of it. And they viewed uh, family like a microcosm of society. So the theory was if a guy couldn't really keep his house in order, then he had no business in public office. Uh, he had no business uh, working for the empire or official roles. And so it was really important for guys, uh, for men in, in Roman society, to at least look like they had it all together. And part of that was making your family look like it had it all together, like it was uh, an orderly family. Because if it weren't orderly, it would be embarrassing for the man. Which, you know, we think, well, you know, guys get embarrassed all the time. But in the ancient world, uh, your honor was more like your credit rating. It was difficult to do well in life. It was difficult to survive without honor. Honor was how you uh, transacted business. It was more important than money in the ancient world. And so if your family wasn't run right, if you had uh, impropriety in your family, it was dishonorable, it was shameful. And that affected, the whole, that affected your whole family. The other thing, too, which is important to understand for this morning is, too, is that for men, fidelity... Faithfulness to your wife was optional. It was wrong, but it was optional. In the ancient world, uh, it was pretty common for Roman men to have a wife for legitimate family. So this was sort of like, this was my family, everything's good. And then they would have a mistress. Or they would go to banquets and they would sleep with temple prostitutes. And that was more acceptable in their culture. Now, this is really different because... uh, for women, things were almost the exact opposite. See, a, a woman was uh, expected to come under her, man's, uh, under her husband's leadership. And so if her husband followed Roman gods, then she was expected to follow Roman gods. If he followed Christian, if he followed Jesus, then she was expected to become a Christian. Now, the thing is, in the ancient world, especially if they followed Roman gods, they were, people were superstitious. And so the belief was, if your wife was not praying to the same God, then any sort of um, mishap that might, that might visit your family, it would easily be blamed on someone in your family not telling the line. And so it was very important for a wife to follow the religion of her husband. And so you can imagine how complicated, how difficult it becomes when a wife begins following Jesus and her husband remains, uh, uh, follows the Roman religions, how much tension that creates in a family. And here's Peter saying, Wives, still submit to your husbands. Even though you follow Jesus, don't give up on that, but don't rock the boat either with, with his religion. All right, so she's saying, he's saying follow husbands uh, and avoid the, the superstition, but he's also saying 
that in the ancient world, actually, that uh, women were expected to keep a, an orderly house. In the ancient world, that was, uh, that, was sort of, uh, that was how a woman gained respect and earned respect for her family, is by keeping a house together, by running, by running the house. Now, women were not expected. Actually, they were frowned upon to be kind of out in society. It was, it was very different than our culture, right? In our culture, a young woman, she can graduate from high school, she can go to university, she can move to a city, she can start a career, she can become a, like a, a, a political, uh, run for political office, do all these things, become a head of a corporation, she can start all this. None of this, uh, all this is good in our society. In the ancient world, that would have been shameful. It would have been sort of embarrassing and really difficult for a woman to do. And so you can see some of the differences between the cultures. Um, another interesting thing, too, in the ancient world, for a woman, she, most women, not all, but most women lived their whole lives uh, under the responsibility of a man. When a woman was born, she was the responsibility of her father until she was old enough to be married. In the ancient world, that was probably early teens. And then she was married, and then she became the responsibility of her husband. And then if her husband died, if she had a son, she became the responsibility of her son or her son-in-law. If she had no children to take care of her, that's when she became a widow, and that's when she was vulnerable. That's why Scripture talks so much about caring for widows and orphans, because they are some of the most vulnerable people in society. So can you begin to see some of the picture I'm painting here, how different the culture was in the first century compared to our culture today? Are you with me? Okay. So you can imagine for a faithful Roman religion guy to have his wife become a Christian the tension that forms. And so Peter is speaking to wives, uh, very likely in this situation, uh, about how to, re- how to relate to their husband. All right. So it's into this situation that Peter writes. So let's look into this letter. So he says, this is the first thing. He says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Okay, the first thing I want to point out here is it says, in the same way. In the same way, this comes from actually uh, a bit earlier. There's a few different um, places in 1 Peter this could be referring to. I think it's actually here to verse 2, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to the Lord's, or sorry, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So this is the part where Peter's talking to the whole church. And then he gets into specific people, like slaves and now wives. So he says, in this same way, submit yourselves to human authorities. So if you're a guy, uh, if you're a Christian, part of that means submitting yourself to Roman governors, even Roman emperor, even if they do wrong. So he's saying submit yourselves to these human authorities. And the other thing here I want to point out is that Peter, when he's saying, he says submit to your own husband. Actually, in Greek, it's very specific, your own. So this is not saying women submit to men. That is not what Peter says. He says women submit to your own husband. It's very specific to your husband. I hear this saying, kind of um, like Peter saying, follow his lead. Help him believe. I'm sorry, um, follow his lead so that you will help him believe. That's the next thing he says here. He says that they may be won over without words. Because uh, I see it even in our culture today when one spouse begins believing how difficult it can be in their marriage. And you can imagine the first century if a wife begins following Jesus and her husband continues to follow Roman gods, the tension that forms, how hard it would be. And so he's saying, rather than, rather than you know, go head to head and debate and fight and argue, 
He's saying, do everything you can by the way you live to show them how good Jesus is. There's, a, um, there's two reasons why Peter is saying this. The first one is out of reverence for Jesus. He says, for God's sake, submit to human authorities. That's the first. The second is for mission, to help your spouse realize who Jesus is. That they realize that Jesus isn't somehow uh, upsetting our whole family and, and ruining our family, but he's actually making our family better. So follow Jesus and submit to the authorities. Even wives, submit to your own husbands so they might, one, see who Jesus is and two, follow him. I want to make a, a, a specific point here. Peter is not advocating or not saying wives stay in an abusive relationship. He's not saying that. This is not about abuse. And, you know, this is a church, and we often think, you know, that, Jason, you don't need to say that here. Statistically speaking, we might need to. And so, ladies, if you are in a relationship, if you're in a marriage that is abusive, that is physically abusive, that is sexually abusive, or verbally abusive, come talk to me, please. You don't have to stay there. And maybe I understand I'm a guy and that might be terrifying. Maybe somebody from our SLT, maybe one of the ladies from our SLT you can speak to. SLT is our, is our leadership team. Or even a trusted friend to get help. That as a church, we want to help you. And in no way do you, does submitting to your husband mean take abuse. It does not mean that. I just wanted to say that clearly this morning. But Peter, if we need to talk about this more again, you can come up and ask me if you know of a situation or if you're experiencing a situation, you can come talk with me or someone that you trust. But Peter continues to go on. And Peter goes on to begin to describe uh, beauty. And he says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, if you were to take out the braided hair part, you could use it to describe any person, man or woman. This is what God desires. But I was thinking about it, and maybe I'm too skeptical, because I could see how, um, how a lady might hear this and say, you know, Jason, that's exactly what a guy would say. You know, that wives should be quiet, seen and not heard, meek and mild. You know, I think that would probably be too skeptical of you of this passage. Because as I read this word, actually I started doing some studying it some more. Actually, the word for gentle here, this word for gentle is, the Greek word behind it is praise. It's only used four times in the New Testament. Two of them are used to refer to Jesus. One of them is when uh, Jesus fulfills the prophet of Zechariah. And he says, look, your king comes humble and gentle riding on a donkey. It's this word praise that he's used to describe Jesus as a king. The next one is when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle, praise, and humble, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus describes himself as gentle. Not only that, but then Jesus teaches all of us in the, in the, in the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the praise, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So this idea of gentleness, this is not a patronizing word. 
This is a word used for Jesus, and Peter here applies it to women. Saying, women, this is, uh, I'm speaking specifically to wives, this is what God desires, is that you would be gentle like Jesus is gentle. The next one is uh, asukios, quiet spirit. It's kind of an unfortunate translation because quiet, maybe you can take it as like, you know, seen but not heard. But actually, this means more like peaceful, in good order. So by quiet spirit, I don't mean they mean like in terms of volume or not being heard, but they mean more as in peaceful, as in um, orderly. The whole point here is that it's, it's our inner character that's of great worth in God's sight, of who we are. This is, who, this is what God delights in. Not the outer um, covers. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this, that God is way more interested in the book than the cover. And ladies, I feel, um, on behalf of the men, to apologize to you. Because we sometimes, or we, more often than I care to admit, or, or I feel ashamed to admit, we, we get so wrapped up in the outer look, we get so wrapped up in the physical beauty that we can give you the impression that that's all that really matters. So please forgive us. It's the inner heart that matters to God. And forgive us when we guys don't live that, when we forget that too. Our culture continually tells you it doesn't matter what the inside is like. It only matters how beautiful you are and that you look like a model on the front of a magazine. That's not true. The inner self, the inner heart, that's the most worthy part to God. That's the part that's most precious to Him. Then Peter goes on to say these words. He says, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, and if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Um, I just want to say that if you read Genesis and you watch Sarah's interaction with Abraham, uh, it's a little bit more complicated than just always submissive. There are some times when they are partners, sometimes when he takes her advice. She does call him master one time, that's true. But I think this might be a case when, as it happens, that you know, people venerated Abraham to the father of Israel, that, that Sarah also gets venerated to the mother of Israel. And if you'll do these things, you, she will be your mother. So it's complicated. We don't have time to go into it this morning. If you have more questions about, you know, how does this work? I don't understand this part. Come talk with me. I'd love to, to explain it some more. But here's the part I wanted to get to. <clears throat> uh, after he talks about wives, submit to your husbands. He, or, he says this to the husbands. He says, husbands, in the same way. So he talked about wives in the same way, husbands in the way, same way. He's referring to this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, do this to every authority instituted uh, among men. Okay, so we're back to that same base of for God's sake, do this, guys. So he says, for God's sake, do this. He says, be considerate. I'm glad Tracy's not in here right now. <laughs> because she would be looking at me saying, do this, do this, because... I don't know about uh, you wives. I don't know about your husbands, but I think most guys are kind of like me. Our world shrinks. And it is, I don't know, it's just a, a, I am a sinful man. And my world, a lot of times, is just focused on me. I don't know, guys, ladies, do you sense any of that in your husbands at all? Have you seen any of that? Or maybe it's just me? Um, guys, be considerate. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Consider her. Think beyond yourselves. 
And I can already begin to explain to you how different this is from the ancient world. Remember, in the ancient world, marriages were a whole lot more like a transaction. Wives were this kind of gray area between partner, mother of child, uh, keeper of house, and possession. And so Peter is saying, guys, that is not how we do it in the kingdom of God. We are considerate of our wives. We think of them above ourselves. So he says, be considerate. Then the next word, then he says here, he says, treat them with respect. Now, we might think, oh, you know, of course, good advice. Thanks, Peter, we should do that. But actually the word respect here is temein. Temein has the word idea of respect and honor, to honor them. And actually, you know, Peter only uses this word a couple other places in this letter. And the two other places that he uses it are from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, show proper to main, proper respect to everyone. So he's saying, honor your wives like, you'd re- like you would honor anyone else. And then he says, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and he says, honor the king. Same word, to main. So the same way that we'd respect others, the same way that we would honor a king, that's how he's saying we respect and honor our wives. So Peter's saying, and you can imagine in the ancient world how scandalous this is but how beautiful it is and how it changes things in that culture. And then he says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I wanted to ask you this question. I've been like, what does he mean by weaker partner? Does he mean like physically weaker? And I suspect for probably generally speaking, there's a lot of uh, married couples where the guy is generally uh, stronger than the wife. I think that's pretty common, not, but not absolute. I mean, Tracy works out at the CrossFit gym in town. There are ladies at that gym who could outdo any of us in this room, guys. So it's not specifically strength, okay, physical strength. And then he says weaker, and he says, you know, okay, so I'm thinking maybe the next thing is intellectually weaker. (laughs) You guys are laughing, right? You already know where I'm going with this. Um, If you have any doubt um, or any concern about this is maybe about intellectual, you should watch Tracy mop the floor with me every time we play a board game. Every time. Like it's a miracle when I win at anything with her when it comes to any sort of like game. Like intellectual. She is smart. I mean, she's a principal of a school. So I don't think it's intellectual weakness. I mean, some of you, I think some of you in this room, I know some of you, you're able to run intellectual circles around me some of you ladies. So it's not intellectual weakness. I think actually, as I'm reading this passage, it's actually about social vulnerability. That in the ancient world, in the first century, women were socially vulnerable. They didn't have the same advantages that guys do. They didn't have the same rights. They didn't have, and so women were weaker in that sense. So he's saying, guys, take care of your spouse. Honor them, because in, in their society at that time, women were disadvantaged. I think there's still some of that today. I think things have gotten a lot better, but guys, that we honor and respect our wives because our culture doesn't do it right yet. And so we need to do it as followers of Jesus, as men of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I was thinking about this too, about um, how how we need to do this as guys. And he was saying too here how it... Um, so that it do- doesn't hinder our prayers. 
And I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking, and I, I might be making the wrong connection here, I admit that, but, but I think the only thing that I've ever really come across that hinders our prayer in Scripture is sin, is separation from God. And he doesn't say it here in this passage, but I hear Peter saying, guys, I wonder if he's saying that it is sinful for us to be disrespectful of our wives, to dishonor our wives, to not be considerate of them. It is sinful for us to do it, and if we do those sort of things, God does not hear us. That's weighty. That's scary for me. And gives some some weight to what we're talking about, how important it is for us, husbands, to love our wives, to be considerate of them, and to honor them, and to respect them. Guys, I think I wanted to say this to you. you know, a minute ago I talked with the ladies and I said, if you're experiencing abuse, guys, um, I'm saying that I want to talk, talk with you. If you have trouble with your temper, if you realize that, you know, I lose it sometimes. And if you think that, you know, maybe I'm crossing the line between being angry and being abusive, I want to encourage you to come talk with me. I want to help you. I don't want to condemn you. I don't want to um, make you feel even more ashamed about it. I want to help you. As a church, this is what we need to do. We need to help each other. So guys, if you have a trouble, if you have a problem with anger, and you think, you know, sometimes it does tip into verbal abuse, or even sexual or physical abuse, come and talk with me. I want to help you. As a church, we want to help you. This morning, hear Peter pushing the envelope of his society. I was thinking about it in terms of this, that the ancient world was patriarchal. And on this continuum of patriarchal and egalitarian, the Roman world fit way on the patriarchal side. And I hear Peter speaking into this situation, and I see him pushing the church a little bit further past the patriarchal system but carefully. Because he's not trying to get slaves to revolt or wives to revolt against their husbands, but he is setting a new trajectory for the kingdom of God. He is pushing the bounds. I mean, the very fact that Peter wrote and addressed wives specifically. You know, notice in this letter, never once does he say, hey guys, get your wives under control. Never does Peter say that. And if you ever take this text to mean that, then you have abused the word of God. He says, he speaks to wives. He says, wives, on your own volition, do this, please. Submit yourselves to your husband. But here, let me say this some more, is that 2,000 years later, and I would say largely due to the Christian tradition, to the Christian religion, Canada, the Western world, has become even more egalitarian where wives, where women and men have many similar rights. Not exactly the same, but similar. And I was thinking about this some. As I read this passage this morning, there are, I think, two ways, two uh, healthy ways that we can interpret this text. The first option is to read what Peter is saying here as a timeless ideal. Wives, in every situation, in every culture, submit to your husbands. And husbands, be considerate, 
and respecting, respectful and honoring of your wives. Christians have been doing that for centuries, and I think it's a valid way to hear this text. But this last week, and I think that's probably where I would have started this week, but after reading and studying this passage some more, I'm actually at a slightly different conclusion. One of them is that Peter is actually calling us to press the cultural norms of our day to make our culture look more like the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is, I think that the kingdom of God, uh, I think he's actually causing us to, are calling us to push the church to move even beyond where our culture is. I believe that the kingdom of God is an egalitarian kingdom. And that comes from reading the word of God, from reading the New Testament all over the place, but a few places specifically. One of them is Galatians 3.28. When Paul, the apostle, another follower of Jesus, he says that there are neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. That there is this oneness. That there is not hierarchy in the kingdom of God. If anything, as Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom. That when we stand before Jesus, wives, I don't believe you will be standing behind your husband. I believe you'll be standing side by side praising God. I believe the kingdom of God is egalitarian. Then I also, as I'm reading this text, I hear him, one, addressing wives, like I've already pointed out. He's not saying, hey, husbands, get your wives to, to get, in, uh, get in line. He actually speaks directly to wives, which was a pretty big deal in those times. And he doesn't, when he speaks to the men, nowhere does he say, control your wives, make them submit to you. Actually, he says the exact opposite, honor and respect them. Be considerate of them. So Peter's saying these things. And then the next thing, uh, when I look at this text, he says, uh, like I said, he says, be considerate. Let me just put all these together in one thing for you. He says, be considerate. Treat them with respect. And then he says also, for they are co-heirs. They are heirs with you in the kingdom of God. He's putting them on equal footing with husbands. Women share an equal place with us. Our wives share an equal place with us. So I hear Peter saying with this explicit goal, so hearing not only in the text that we read throughout the New Testament, not only what Peter says in this text, but also what he says about his goal is for missional purposes. So the culture around us would see how good our marriages are and they would begin to wonder or begin to say, you know, there must be something about following Jesus because look at the marriages of Christians. I think if Peter were speaking to us today, I think if he were speaking to us today, he would say, he would acknowledge one that um, our culture has moved a long way in the direction that the kingdom of God is. At least in terms of marriages, in terms of egalitarian, uh, of, of equal rights, equal footing for women. I think he would be encouraged by that. And I think he would remind us that we are co-heirs with women in the kingdom of God. And I think if he were speaking to us today, he would say, husbands and wives work together. Continue to work together. Rely on each other. Rely on each other's strengths. Help cover up each other's weaknesses. Work together. When you decide something, decide it together. Discuss it. Watch out for the interests of the other. Husbands can be considered of your wives. Wives, watch out for the interests of your husband. When we disagree, I know none of you do, you're all Christians, but... In my family, when Tracy and I disagree, 
that we disagree respectfully. And when we blow it, we ask for, we ask for forgiveness. That we look for ways to accommodate each other, to help each other get what they want, to bend as much as we can to meet together. I think he would encourage us to set each other up for success. Husbands, set your wives up for success. Wives, do what you can to help your men, to help your husbands be successful. I think about how he would call us to value marriage in our society. We live in a society right now that doesn't value marriage. If people get married at all, it's only until it's convenient. It's only so long as it's convenient. The moment it becomes hard or difficult or we just went our separate ways, we grew apart, people get divorced. But we as Christians, God is calling us to value marriage and to stay committed to one another, to work it through, to love each other well. I hear Jesus, I hear him saying, I would hear Peter say, encouraging us to help each other. Husbands and wives help each other grow in faith. Not only do we work on our marriage, but we'd help each other grow in our understanding and our faithfulness towards Jesus. I would hear Peter encouraging us to this. Because not only is this good for our marriages, not only does this help us become more like kingdom people, but it will also speak to the people around us. That no matter what people might say about Jesus or about Christianity, that they would never be able to say and just look at their marriages. What a mess. But rather, people would look at our church and no matter what they might say about anything else, they would say, but you know, they love each other well. Christian marriages are beautiful. Christian husbands and wives, they care for each other. Husbands honor and respect their wives. Wives look for ways to follow their husband's leadership. That's what I want people to say about the marriages, our marriages here in this church. So this morning I've been working through this passage, unpacking, trying to help us see the cultural uh, aspect, the historical implications of it. But I wanted to ask too, I wanted to ask a woman to come up and speak. And so I asked Susan Bernhardt, uh, you know, she was uh, one, a really smart, faithful lady, but also too, she was a, um, a youth pastor in, in Alberta and I asked her to come share just practically how does she work this out? And I noticed you didn't bring Kevin, so, you know, <laughs> so I'll just have to take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, with our eldest son. I was kind of relieved. (laughs) So good morning. My name is Susan Bernhardt. I think I know most of you here. Um, So when Jason asked me to share some thoughts on submission as a married woman, I was bombarded with many thoughts and feelings. The biblical concept of submission has been an area I've grown and changed in a lot over the years. So I'm going to give you some context first, um, just who I am and where I come from. Sure. Okay. So I was raised in a home with really staunch gender roles. My mom stayed at home to take care of the children, which was myself and my brother Phil, and the home. So she was responsible for all of that. My dad went to work every day, and he was very faithful in doing that to support our family. So the ongoing joke in my family home to this day is that my 76-year-old dad still does not know where the salt shaker is. And it hasn't moved. It's been 45 years. But that's how much he used the kitchen. In addition to my family, I was also raised in a really uh, 
fairly conservative church. So women weren't allowed to be pastors. Jason did mention that I was a youth pastor, but I was actually called a director of parish services. So I was never allowed to preach or serve communion or any of those things. Um, Some pastors even, and I remember a conversation um, probably about 15 years ago when I was working at a church in Calgary. um, Some pastors would not even marry people who wouldn't, if the wife wouldn't agree to say that she obeyed her husband. It wasn't all pastors, but there were some. Um, So from these models and cultures, I formed ideas of what gender roles were and how marriage should look like. Men should be leaders in the home, and they should work hard and provide and make the major decisions. Women should obey men's leadership. They should stay at home and take care of the home and children. And this is what I assumed a home based on the biblical model looked like. What is funny is that even though I adopted these ideas, I never saw them working out very well in reality. This is not to say that they don't. I'm sure there are marriages out there that do, and some of you today might have that. But in my experience, it wasn't. My family home was tumultuous. There were not many truly healthy marriages in my extended family. One couple who mentored us at church, and I remember how adamant the husband was about how men are the head of the home. Um, They mentored us and divorced not long after Kevin and I married. So when I married Kevin 20 years ago, I expected Kevin to be the leader and the head of our home. However, we both discovered I was not such a good follower. <laughs> in fact, I could, re- I could remember begging to say obey in my marriage vows and then promptly fought him on every single decision <laughs> after that. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, too, because Kevin didn't come from the same culture I did. Um, so uh, it was fun, though, to talk about it with him last night. We had some good laughs, so I'm glad we can laugh now. As I was thinking about these experiences and stories in my life, it reminded me of Brené Brown's research on shame with respect to men and women in today's culture. Brown's research shows that women today are taught and expected to be three things. Small, quiet, and that's the kind of quiet that is seen and not heard, not the kind of quiet that we heard about today, and pretty. Conversely, men are expected to be strong uh, or just not weak. Uh, to be in control, and emotionally stoic, so not to show emotion. These cultural messages that we receive are strong. When men and women do not fit into these boxes, we feel shame. We feel that we're not good enough. When I look back on my own life, I can see that many of my own ideas about the roles of men and women were more informed by the world around me than what the Bible actually says when it is read properly in context. At first glance, with a cursory reading, as Jason kind of pointed out, um, you might think that the Bible upholds the weakness of women and the strength and authority of men, just like our culture does. However, when read in proper context, as Jason has spoken about this morning, we can see that the Bible actually speaks a better word to both men and women than any of these cultural expectations that the world puts on us. God is introducing a whole new paradigm, a whole new model for marriage relationships. This new paradigm of equality Jesus introduces is expressed in many places in the New Testament. Here, Peter speaks to women and slaves considered as nobodies in their culture and claims their personhood for them. He confers on them moral responsibility and choice. He calls them co-heirs of the gift of life. And it reminds me of Paul's words in Galatians 3, which Jason actually already read this morning. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What these passages speak to me is freedom. God is deconstructing cultural norms and bringing equality. The great Redeemer is doing what he does best. He's redeeming every part of our culture. 
He was doing it in the Greco-Roman world, and he's still doing it today as we battle against who the world says we are versus who God says we are. In my own 20 years of marriage, Kevin and I have had to deconstruct our own various ideas about what a Christian marriage looks like. And if the journey of marriage has taught me anything, it's that marriage is sanctification. It's one way that God is changing us and growing us more into his likeness. Our world tells us that love is all hearts and flowers and romance, but when you live closely with another human being, there is no way to hide your faults and imperfections. They are on display for both of you to see. I believe that the Holy Spirit uses this context to show us things about ourselves, to prune us, to mold us, and to make us more his own, to show us the way to live out his unique calling in our lives. Personally, I've had to drop my superficial ideas of submission and obedience, and I've had to dig into what true submission looks like. And I've learned that submission is just plain hard. For me, submission in marriage has looked like... I'm kind of glad Kevin isn't here, too. Um, giving Kevin this space and support to be the unique person that God made him. Choosing to let go of my own ideas and really hear what Kevin's ideas are. Giving his ideas the same credit um, and value as my own. Not being defensive when Kevin expresses hurt for a way that I've treated him. Taking responsibility for my own actions. Being willing to, willing to be influenced by Kevin, having a teachable spirit. And trusting Kevin has my best interests at his heart. The picture that came to mind when I considered these things was that of being open-handed, not grasping for my own control, but also not giving up my own personhood, being both open to another person's ideas as well as holding my own. As I was sharing my thoughts with Kevin, I asked him what submission in marriage looked like to him, his list was different than mine, which made me consider that maybe submission looks different to everyone. We all struggle with letting go of control in our lives. The places where Jesus is gently pruning and changing us look different in each of our lives and in each of our marriages. Finally, it's not lost on me that God calls us to submit to each other in marriage, just as he calls us to submit in marriage. He also calls us to submit to him and to his authority in our lives. Submission is not reserved for marriage. Ultimately, our lives are all about submitting to God. In Isaiah 26, 3, God says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. In Isaiah 48, God promises that if we let go of control of our lives, if we trust him and follow his commands, he will give us peace like a river, peace that is powerful and flows through all sorts of the twists and turns and the tough terrain of life. Marriage is just another place where Jesus is teaching us how to let go of the control in our lives and to trust him. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Thanks. That was a good word. Thank you. So, you know, this morning I hear two things. Um, One is that, um, guys, uh, spouses, that we would love each other well. Imagine what this begins to look like in our community around us when our world is struggling to figure out how to relate to each other, especially uh, husbands and wives or or men and women, that we can show what it looks like as Christians, that we can show, and not only that, but we can honor God by doing it. We can continue to uh, love each other well because that's how it is in the kingdom of God. So this morning, I imagine us taking these words that we've heard (laughs) Um, sometimes funny, sometimes troubling, 
But take these words and we begin living them, that we live this witness in our community, that people see what it looks like to follow Jesus, that they watch our marriages and the ways that we treat each other, the ways that husbands, the ways that we respect and honor our wives, Wives, the way that we have submit, like the way that Susan was talking and what that looks like. And, you know, as you were talking, Susan, I realized that Peter actually doesn't line out. He doesn't detail what that submission looks like. And so I think that's a good point, Susan, that it looks differently of each, for each of us in our marriages. But ultimately, submission is part of all of our lives, that we all submit to God. So this morning, I, I want us to, to live this. I want us to live our witness, not just in the ways that we submit to authorities, but also the ways that we love each other as husbands and wives. I can't wait to see what God will do if we will grow in this area, the ways he will use it to bless people in our community and draw them to Jesus. Amen.